Ask Father with Father Isaac and Father Rodriguez. A question and answer session which concluded the Fatima Center's Army of Advocates Conference in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on November 11, 2018 hosted by the Fatima Center. So we've got a whole bunch of questions and we've got limited time, so we want to get to the questions right away. But I believe the fathers wanted to answer a question that's been posed to them that may not be in the pile that I have before me. So please go ahead. The father said somebody had a question about the doctrine on no salvation outside the church, which in the end is the foundation of all the doctrines in one sense. And it's probably one of the most difficult for most people to grasp. And it sounds like it's cruel and it's mean. And then the person also said, especially today, how can, if there's no salvation inside the church, how can people, gonna, how are they going to come to church when they see all these scandals? Like, oh, yeah, let me go join this church so my son can get molested by a priest. And this is what the devil, this is the problem with scandal. That's why the Lord said, woe to those who scandalize the little ones. You know, better a millstone wrapped around your neck. So how do you, the question is, how do you bring these people into the church when they joke? Very simple. When I meet someone outside the church, I tell them the doctrine, but I also tell them I don't water nothing down. I said, yeah, you know, uh, people right away say, look at your church is loaded with pedophile priests and all this stuff. And so I said, you know, first of all, you have to understand, I never forget Bishop Fulton Sheen said this. If you study the scriptures, you realize that God established the church. Matthew 16, verse 18. On this rock, Peter, I will build my church. Not Peter's church, his church. And the gates of hell shall never prevail. He said, so we see that from that very point on till the end of time, there has to be a visible presence of the church. And it's only one church. St. Paul says only one God, one baptism, one faith. No, makes no sense that you could have two churches because look at the Protestant denominations now. There's over 70,000 of them or more that keep growing. What, it mean, what does it mean to be Protestant? To protest. What are you protesting? The true faith. And so how can all these religions be good? Oh, we're all Christians. I said, no, we're not. There's only one true faith. Because all the, these 70,000 church, they, their doctrines contradict each other. And Christ cannot deceive nor be deceived. So he can't support all these churches. But Fulham said, so once you get them to see that Christ did establish a church and use, you know, the scriptures, and then you can use history, then the next thing is to show them that Christ suffered. He was crucified. He was betrayed by his own and so so. So Christ's bride is the church. And the church of Christ will be identified by the church that's uh, mocked, by the church that's ridiculed, by the church that's under constant attack. There's no other church that's under attack. The media is always coming after us, and it's from within the church. So, you know, that's one of the ways. But the, one of the best ways when I talk to people is say, listen, the best way to find out what, where the true church is, to get on your knees and pray. Because there's a doc- the doctrine is there's no salvation outside the church. The church also teaches that God gives everyone all the graces they need to save their soul. Therefore, it's the, uh, you know, syllogism. The next conclusion is, therefore, God's going to convict these people that they're out, that they need to come into the true church. And we don't know all the graces that God gives each individual in their life. 
and even yourself. We don't realize all the graces that we trample upon. But on the judgment, God will reveal to you. Don't you remember that priest spoke about no salvation outside the church? And believe me, as I preach that, that's probably the number one, you say, my pet peeve. I keep coming always back to that. And many, many souls have been converted because they told me, I've been tortured because it bothered. when you said that, I was angry. That's the first reaction, very anger. But once again, as I said yesterday, the Holy Spirit convicts people. And so the bottom line is, yeah, you, I'm, you know, I'm speaking very calm. I don't yell at people. But I said, get on your knees. Say, Lord, if they, is this what this priest is saying is true, that there's only one church and there's no salvation outside that church? And whatever it is, please show me. I'm open to do your holy will. I say, just tell her, I want to do your holy will. Show me what you want to do. And a soul that's sincere, that seeks God's will. You think of someone seeking God's will, that he's not going to grant them, enlighten them? Otherwise, he'd be a cruel God. Ha, ha, you didn't come to my church, I'm going to send you to hell. It doesn't work that way. St. Alfonso Gurry says, God will never confirm anyone in a false religion. You hear about all these miracles in these other churches. He said he'll never work perform a miracle outside of the church unless it's to bring someone into the true church. Why? Because you're condemning them to hell then. So the answer is, number one, we have to pray and do penance. The number one big thing is your, your example. Are you an example of a good Catholic? Are you a stand-up Catholic? Do you live a, a holy life? Do you have the virtue of charity? When they look at you, they should be attractive to you, uh, to, to themselves, saying, you know, Mary, she's so kind. I see the acts of charity she does for people. And they start, you know, thinking about these things. And, they, and so they'll be drawn to you because of your charity, because they could see God within you. That's a, very, very important. And... You know, we go on and on, but we got a lot of questions. Father, wants to add something? No, that's fine. Well, let's go <laughs> No, I mean, just so, I mean, I certainly could, but just so we can, just so we can keep the questions because we get to them. The first questions that we'll pose, uh, I'm going to read both. There's two questions very similar, and they have to do with homosexual relationships within a family. So the first, my brother-in-law's niece is married, in quotes, to Jennifer, and now they have a baby. How do I approach my sister and tell her that this homosexual relationship is not good but sinful? Are we allowed to be in their company, and do we invite them over when the rest of their family is invited? What do you say to your sister who attended their so-called marriage? And the similar question is, my nephew is a homosexual. He comes home to his mother's house with his civil law partner. How do we act when we are invited over to see them? Uh, Jesus says, love the sinner, hate the sin. These situations are confusing. Please talk about this and also about our families who have lost the faith but still want family togetherness. When I tried to speak about this, they all get up and leave and there's hard feelings, etc. Well, you, well, you, you, I was going to say, yeah, but that was straight up your alley on the, on the talk you gave on Friday. What they say, the families that have left the faith? Okay, well, you know what? The problem also is I didn't quite get everything on the first question, but let me do the best to respond. Look, in general, what you have to do, I also mentioned it in my talk. Father Isaac, I think, also did on Friday is... You have to be faithful to the truth. And first of all, you have to be convinced of that truth. 
You have to be doing your best to re- I mean, really be living your Catholic faith because you're going to also need a lot of strength to withstand all kinds of attacks and all kinds of difficulties that are going to come your way. So, but you have to be faithful to the truth. And what it means is you cannot in any way be showing acceptance of a grave sin, of living in mortal sin. And also, I think Father Isaac mentioned it on Friday, it's not just a question of sins of homosexual nature, because you're also going to have to witness to the truth when you have, for example, family members that are not married to the church. Let's say, for example, that they're married civilly. And Father Isaac directly addressed that about people asking, well, you know, can I go to the wedding? And then asking him if they could go to the reception. I mean, those of you that were here Friday, well, no. There's no way that you can be participating or showing any kind of acceptance for that. Um, It is very difficult because I think you do have to, insofar as you can, leave avenues open so that hopefully those family members will convert because of your penances and because of your prayers. But I also think you just take the opportunities when you can to explain what the church teaches, explain and say, look, this is the truth. And I'm doing my best to save my soul. I want to get to heaven. I want to do my best to help you get to heaven. I'm going to be praying for you. But I'm not going to tell you something that's not true, because if I'm telling you a lie or affirming you in sin, then how is that really loving you? Not that they're going to accept it, not that they're going to, you know, pat you on the back and say, oh, I love you too. I mean, people are going to get upset. There's going to be division in families. But, I mean, you leave it in God's hands. And again, you keep you keep praying and trusting that by you being faithful to God and to the church, that God is also going to respond. I, again, I don't know, but yeah, maybe add. So, like Father said, I think it's important you sit down and say, listen, number one, you know, I love you. In charity, you know, I have to speak the truth. I, you know, you don't yell, you don't scream. You know, you point out the truth, number one. Number two, most of the time, what I find is people have a double standard, and I'm quick to point it out. I said, well, wait a minute. You start yelling at me that I don't accept you. I said, but do you accept my beliefs? You don't want to respect what I believe. So in other words, you have a double standard. I have to accept your beliefs, even though they're against me, but you don't have to accept my beliefs. And so you have to point out, you know, that's not fair, number one, have a double standard, but speak in truth, and that's it. You remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, Our Lord, in front of hundreds of disciples, he reveals the doctrine of the Eucharist again. And three times he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, or you will not have eternal life. And they said, this is too hard for us to understand. And they walked away. Now, if you keep on reading, Jesus doesn't say, wait, come back, let me water it down. You know, I I, I don't want to. No, he let them walk. And this is the importance of standing for truth, as Father said, and I've said it. When you don't go to those weddings, I I know a man, uh, and he came to me with his brother-in-law was getting married outside the church, and he told the wife, he laid the Lord down, we're not going. That guy had to sleep on the couch for six months. That's because he was effeminate. (laughs) The wife should have slept on the couch for six months. But guess what? She was converted in the end. 
Because he stood his ground then. Even though he shouldn't have slept on the couch, he stood his ground. And that's why, because these people, if you go along with them, you're really condoning their sin. It's a tacit approval even, you could say, we, where they say, well, my dad came to the wedding, my mom came to the wedding. But if you don't, it bothers them, you know. And you have to tell them you love them. I had situations like this in my family, and I had to tell the I love you no matter what. I told them, I'm willing to die for you, for your soul. I said, I'll do anything as long as it's with God. I said, I'm always here for you. Anything I could do for you, come to me. I said, but I'm not going to compromise on the faith. And that's true love. Father Isaac, a question for you, a two-part question. Father, what do you do when you encounter publicly a homosexual couple who are holding hands or kissing? And what should we as lay faithful do? As far as encountering, if I'm walking down the street and I pass someone, I'm, well, I'm going to stop them or uh, hit them up. People would say, oh, yeah, Father Isaac would probably hit them over the head and tell them they're going to burn in hell. I don't do that, my friends. There's, there's rules for fraternal correction, number one. One of the rules for fraternal correction, you don't correct people that are not open to corrections. All right? So if I'm walking down and I see that, I pray for them. I said, Lord, please help them and enlighten them. I pray for their conversion, please, that they may not lose their soul. Because Our Lady of Fatima said, most souls go to hell because no one will pray and do penance for them. But if I'm sitting, say, you know, if I'm somewhere like at a, a function or a family function or friends and they're doing this in front, I said, please, uh, stop doing I would speak up. I said, you know, what are you doing that for, you know, in front of people? You know, it depends on the situation. You've got to pray and you pray for prudence. But sometimes God wants us to speak up. And it's the way you speak up, too, sometimes. You know, it's, there's ways to do it and you need prudence. But this is part of what I was talking about, too, that, that men have been so emasculated. They have no no courage, no fortitude. They're afraid of their own shadows. They're afraid they're going to be uh, accused of being uncharitable or politically incorrect. It's all nonsense. Sometimes you just have to do it. You bite the bullet and you do it. It depends. If they're doing something off- really offensive. I was in the airport on my way to Quito, Ecuador, and these two lesbians are there, and they did it purposely. They looked at me and they started laughing. They started uh, making out with each other. So I made the sign across, prayed St. Michael prayer for them to get the demons off of them, and, uh, and I kept praying for them. And then guess what? They were sitting right in front of me on the plane. <laughs> and I... <laughs> Father Rodriguez, when Jesus said to Peter, whatever you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven... What exactly does that mean, or how much latitude does that give the Pope? Basically, the mission that our Lord gives to St. Peter, I mean, also the power that he gives to St. Peter, you know, he gives him all power in heaven and on earth, but there are obviously limits. And I mean, and those limits basically are, as we've said in, on different occasions, what the Catholic Church has always taught. The Pope, for example, is not going to be able to loose a sinner from sin if the sinner isn't repentant. That's not, that's not something that even God's going to do. Basically, I would just say, look, the Pope has full power in the church, but 
we always have to remember why that power was given. I mean, our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave that power to him for the good of souls and for the salvation of souls and to build up the church, not to tear down the church. And so there are those times in the history of the church where it is obvious that the Pope is either going against what the church teaches or causing harm to souls because he's going against what also church doctrine. And that's where one has to oppose it. The doctors of the church, I mean, some of the great doctors of the church also talk about that. You see, for example, St. Paul doing the same thing where he speaks about how to St. Peter's face, he told him, look, you can't be demanding from the Gentiles, you know, that they get circumcised. This whole controversy there in the early years of the church. And thank God, I mean, one of the beautiful things that you see there is St. Peter had the holiness and the humility also to recognize that he was wrong. And so he corrected himself. I mean, he's human. St. Peter was human. It's not like the Pope is not human. I mean, even our holiest popes are human. And so God willing also, if, if they begin to veer off the wrong track, that they'll have the humility also to recognize, look, I should not be doing this, and they'll use their power in the correct way. Uh, help me out here, Father. <laughs> like Father said, you know, as a priest has that power too, it's in the confessional to loosen sins and to forgive. And a lot of times, unfortunately today, probably more than ever, there's sometimes, you know, a woman comes in, she don't want to give up the contraception, uh, you can't you can't loosen the sin. And I'm big on this too because I follow St. Alphonse, there's what we call recidivist sinners that keep on coming, they confess their sins, they fall again and again and again. And after a couple of times, you have to have a amendment of life to have your sins forgiven. And so I can tell you don't have a amendment of life because you keep committing the same sin and you're not repented. So there, I can't loosen the sin. I have to bind it. And But what you do is you say I have to delay absolution. You give them remedies as a good physician of the soul. St. Alphonse says to uproot the vice. And show them, it rattles the sinners, say, this is serious, I'm, uh, I'm going to lose. Because they keep going to the Mickey Mouse priest that says, yeah, you, what you do? Oh, yeah, don't worry, three Hail Marys, go, go. Three Hail Marys, three Hail Marys. But meanwhile, I have people come to me and say, you've been committing this sin for how many years? Oh, 20, 30, 40. I say, you really think you're sorry? And, you know, and I use very concrete examples, you know, and uh, unfortunately, you know, you, you have to use these examples, I think, to get through to people. I said, so say if a man came home and he found his wife in bed with a man committing adultery right in front of his eyes and she begs forgiveness, she says, I'm sorry, okay, and he forgives her, you know, and he knows he's stuck with her for <laughs> till he dies, marriage is indissoluble, he comes home next week, another man, the week after, another man. Is that woman sorry? No. And so that's part of it. It's about the. I'm going to group four questions together because they all have the same theme. This one begins with a, a little thank you to Father Isaac. Thank you, Father. I am so tired of all the fluff. You are not fluff, and I thank you. Uh, but the question is, how can we approach our pastor and let our pastor know that I'm tired of your fluffy programs? The similar question to Father Rodriguez, how do we show our outrage in what is happening under Francis's confusion and more responses for our pulpit? 
Is it all right to withhold Sunday collection when you don't want to go to certain causes? And what can we do to let our bishop know that we are unhappy with his silence? And lastly, this is another question in the same vein. What can we as laity, when we see an issue and the prior and bishop do nothing about it, what are we supposed to do? I'm already holding back my funds to them. What else can I do? Yeah. No, I mean, those are all good questions. And in general, I would say, look, I think you have to take action. I think, for example, with the pastor, the first question about the fluff, I tend to think that the best thing would be to probably just write a letter and let him know. At least you're giving him an opportunity to change his ways. I mean, to express to him, look, Father, things are really, whatever, let's say, dire in the church. The salvation of our souls is at stake. I mean, you're our pastor, you're our priest. We need you to really teach the faith well and correct, let's say, the sinners or whatever's going on that needs to be corrected in the parish. But sadly, realistically, it's not going to do any good. I mean, things are so bad right now that, so I mean, if somebody were, like if you were to say, look, I don't even necessarily want to write to my pastor or talk to him, I would say, well, you're not obligated to. I would say, look, if you don't want to or you've done it a lot of times in the past and you're already so worn out or whatever it might be, I'd say, don't worry. I still think, especially if you have the motivation, I'd say, go ahead and do it, but don't expect that you're going to get any great results. I think we're at the point where you just have to take action. What I mean by action is, for example, the questions also about do we support like our bishop or our parish? I don't think you should. I mean, I think we're at the point where I don't recommend that any Catholic go to the novus or the parishes. I mean, the parishes where the new mass is being offered. But I don't recommend that they donate in any way to those parishes either. Now, again, if for whatever reason the person wants to, okay, that's on your conscience, but I don't recommend it because we're at the point where even, I think I mentioned also in my talk, I mean, there's two camps and we need more of the faithful to really fight for the truth and fight for the Catholic religion. So I think you have to take stronger measures. Um, The question about should we support, I think there was one about the financially the bishop, I don't think you should. I think what you should do is you look for the place where you can go to the traditional Latin Mass, and you go there, you support that. If it's tied with the diocese, I don't even think that's the best, but if it's a Latin Mass, it's a Latin Mass. But I would tell you, look, talk to the priest and maybe donate directly to that parish and buy the vestments or pay a bill or something so that your money doesn't go to the diocese or... Um, definitely, I think it's good to support like the SSPX, um, support, there are a lot of, there are different apostolates that are dedicated 100% to the Catholic ma- uh, Latin Mass. I mean, for example, I know of a group of Franciscan nuns that are in Guatemala, beautiful nuns, they've suffered a lot, it's a small group, they're starting out because they found out about the Latin Mass, they really wanted to live their religious life faithfully. And boy, they got persecuted so badly from the other nuns and from the local bishop. And so basically, they're a small band of nuns right now that are trying to, let's say, establish another apostolate in their convent. And so again, they're down in Guatemala. You could even look them up. There's some videos that have been made of their whole story. It's beautiful. They speak in Spanish, but you've got the subtitles in English. If you just type in your, on, like on the YouTube, traditional Franciscan nuns in Guatemala, those videos will come up. I encourage you to watch them. I think there's information also on how you can donate to them. So, 
Yeah, they specifically are, their apostle is to help the handicapped children, and some of them are severely, severely handicapped. It's, a, it's a, obviously a very poor country, and so you have also sometimes where the little babies and children, they're so handicapped that they've been just left at the, outside the convent of the nuns, and the, the parents either can't or don't want to take care of the children, and so the, the nuns are left with the children. If you really look around, you can find places to support, I mean financially, I mean the traditional apostolates. You've got like the SSPX seminary. I'm sure you can also send Father Isaac a donation. I mean, what? No, but I mean, and I think that's what one should do. I mean, I think you need to like, let's say, take more decisive steps to support where true Catholicism is being promoted. Obviously, I strongly encourage you to keep praying. I mean, keep praying for those bishops that you know or the priests that you know, even if you're no longer going to Mass, pray for their conversion. If there's ever an opportunity where you can maybe talk to them, do that. I mean, I, I would never say, like, shun them. I would say, look, they're our brothers and sisters. We, we definitely have to do everything we can to bring those that are in the Novus Ordo to the traditional Latin Mass, I mean, to, to our Catholic religion. But... I also say don't don't have these false hopes that because you talk to someone and you write them a letter that they're going to, you know, change and start really following Christ and teaching the faith. Uh, yeah, a couple of things just to add to that is one of the things the Father said, a lot of priests, as I told you yesterday, they don't have the fortitude to stand up for what's right because they're afraid to lose their salary. They're afraid to use their me- medical insurance and their pension, and they know what happens to priests that do it. They get kicked to the curb. I hear so many horrible stories, so many priests in the Novus Ordo that did the right thing. They ended up living in a, a trailer like, like a dog and abandoned by people, too. And the very people sometimes I find that push, oh, yeah, I wish you'd just do that, do the old mass, and then when you do it, they're not there to support you. You have to support these priests. You have to support because there's... The church ain't going to support them. And this is what the bishops use to keep these men in line. That's number one. Number two, I want to make it, Father said about, like there's a lot of these, some of these Ecclesia Day community, Fraternity of St. Peter, Institute of Christ the King. Well, let me tell you something. When you give money to them, they take collections because they're bishop in the diocese, wherever they are, because they have to keep in line with the bishop. They take collections for Catholic Campaign for Human Development. And the one... And so Catholic Campaign for Human Development, I went over yesterday from 2012 to 2017, five-year period. They gave $280,000 to Planned Parenthood groups, abortionist groups, and LGBTQT community groups. That's diabolical. And so say you get a priest in one of these Ecclesia Day communities that says, I'm not taking the collection. Very rare, because they'll take his head. But if he doesn't, guess what happens? Your money still goes to that because the way the diocese work is when they have these second collections, you're slated for a certain amount of percentage. So they said due to the size of your parish, you have to give, say, we want $50,000 for Catholic you know, development, whatever, $5,000, say, a Catholic campaign. So the priest says, I'm not giving the collection. Some good priests I know have done that. They won't take it. But you know what they do? At the end of the year, they tax them. They say, they call it a tax then. They said, you, you only handed in $100 for the Catholic campaign for human development. Therefore, we have to tax you $4,900. Just to let you know, that's how it works.
And oh, very mad because money is is the love of money is the root of all evil. And all these wicked bishops and things that go on, they need money. They live a life of luxury. And so that is one of the ways. And I just want to add to my the first question, too, when about these people outside the church and all, when they bring up the scandal of the church, I said, well, there's been scandal in the church from day one. If you don't think it's scandalous that the first pope denied Christ three times, think again. And, and God allowed that to show us that a pope is human and he can be weak. But thank God, Peter repented. Okay? And then Judas who was chosen one of the first, the 12 pillars of the church, the apostles, he betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. You don't think that's scandalous? Why did God allow? Because he would, she's shown us that these things will happen. And so just because there's scandal, that doesn't mean it's not Christ's church. As a matter of fact, there will always be a scandal in Christ's church, unfortunately, because of fallen human nature. One last thing, just um, in terms of financially supporting, you can certainly support also the Fatima Center. I mean, that's a great place to also know. I mean, yes, I would strongly encourage all of you. I mean, especially, I think, in, the, in these times of crisis, I mean, look for the apostles that are really trying to promote the Latin Mass, that are promoting the Catholic faith. And I think a huge plus with the Fatima Center is trying to also promote the message of Our Lady of Fatima, which is huge. So um, definitely I would strongly encourage you to keep supporting the work of the Fatima Center, also obviously with your prayers, but also, you know, financially. Thank you, Father Rodriguez. Um, Father Isaac, I go to daily Mass. Uh, the traditional Mass is not said during the week anywhere near me. What am I supposed to do? The Novus Ordo is my only option at this time. Is the consecration of the bread and wine at the Novus Ordo valid? Well... The Novus Ordo Mass is a valid Mass if it's celebrated, you know, by a validly ordained priest and then he has a proper intention and he uses proper form and matter, you know, uses a proper host and the wine. Uh, but it's an illicit Mass. You know, the Pope had no right to change the Mass, all right? So it's a valid Mass when it's done right correctly, but it's illicit. So is there grace in the Novus Ordo? Of course, because if you go there and you're receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ, <laughs> you're going to get grace. But uh, we could give a whole conference on this. Do I recommend it? My heart breaks for you people <laughs> because I can't go a day without the Eucharist. I would abandon my priesthood. It wouldn't take long. In the early church, in the first hundred years, a few hundred years when the church was persecuted and it was the age of martyrdom, the blood of the martyrs, it's a seed of Christianity, a seed of Catholicism. Those people, if they'd be caught out of mass, could be put to death. But they went because they knew they couldn't endure the persecution. So my thing is, I hate to tell somebody I wouldn't go, but it all depends on your conscience, too. For some people, and I think if you have a properly informed conscience, and you could say, the Novus Auto Mass stripped me of my faith. And it has. It stripped many people of their faith. Because when you go to communion, you got women, like I said, with high heels and a mini dress on, handing communion. And our Lord is, is uh, you know, being trampled upon the floor because there's particles, communion in the hand. Somebody just told me a story about that uh, extraordinary minister, how they spilled the precious blood all over the floor. I said, oh, my God, it broke my heart. Because when the precious blood hits the floor, it was marble, and it splats, it goes into the, to the walls, it goes into the clothes, and they don't even know how to properly uh, take care of that. When a host falls on the floor, it is, it is horrible thing, even if it's, 
you know, you, you tremble. It's happened to me as a priest once, and I was shake, and, I, and you stop right there. I said, don't move, don't, you know, leave that. And I go, get a call, another purificator. I take the host, me, I don't care, really, I'm going to consume the host right there, and I put a purificator over that spot. And I don't let nobody go. You don't let nobody go there. Then the priest at the end of Mass is supposed to take off his chasuble. He's supposed to come out with water and purify and cleanse that whole area. But anyway, I think it's a big problem if you go to Novus Auto Mass with children because then the children start to begin to think that that's the true faith and it's, you know, it's going to confuse them. But it comes down to individual basis. You know, it's easy for me to say too, or you know, like I said, I'm not. That's the one and only fringe benefit I get as a priest. I get to celebrate Mass every day, and I get the Eucharist every day. If you don't mean to call it that, but uh, you want to, I'm just being uh, other. But that's that's it. You know, it's very difficult. My father could speak on it, but uh, no, I think those are very difficult questions, and I would say that. Be patient also with others because different Catholics are at a different point, I mean, in their own conscience and their own awareness of the gravity of the problems in the Novus Ordo. And so I do think it's very difficult because if you have a faithful Catholic who loves our Lord in the Eucharist and, and feels a great need to receive our Lord on a daily basis, and that's a natural question to Zazis as well, I can't get to the Latin Mass, so should I go to the Novus Ordo? I don't recommend that you do. But I'm not going to really come down hard on the Catholic person who says, but, but Father, I mean, what other option do I have? Now, I'll tell them what other options they have, but I also say give them their space, pray for them. And if they, again, are really strong in their love for Christ, praying the rosary, I mean, God's going to show them the way as well. But one of the things that I would tell them, I mean, in terms of making the argument against not going, is I would say, look, it is a great sacrifice for you personally to not be able to receive our Lord, let's say, every day. But by the same token, spend the time. I mean, spend 30, 35 minutes and really do your best to make a devout spiritual communion. I mean, you have, I forget which exactly of the saints, but you have some of the saints that talk about how when you make a truly, truly devout, you know, let's say almost perfect spiritual communion, that you're getting the graces that the St. Alphonsus, okay, Father Isaac's telling me that St. Alphonsus, I think there's another saint too, but St. Alphonsus can't get much greater authority, that you're getting almost the same graces as if you received our Lord there truly in holy communion. And so it really is something incredible that you can do if you really make a good spiritual communion, you, your prayers of preparation, thanksgiving with devotion. I mean, you've got different prayer books that explain on the whole thing with the spiritual communion. So, I mean, that's kind of one thing that I would recommend. And I would also tell the individual, I'd say, look, you're making a great sacrifice. God knows you're making that sacrifice. And he knows you're making that sacrifice because of your love for the Mass and your love for the church. I say love for the church because here's the thing. If you had more Catholics that go to Mass on a daily basis that would insist in a good way to their shepherds and say, look, we need to go to the Latin Mass. It needs to be provided to us on a daily basis. If you had larger numbers, you'd start getting little by little, I mean, more daily Latin Masses. Now, granted, again, realistically, is that going to happen? I don't think so, because I don't think we have the faith to get those numbers of Catholics to really then make a difference. But... I would tell the person, but you don't worry about that. That's in God's hands. I mean, you do the right thing. You do it for love of the church. 
and you let the chips fall where they may. So that's what I would say. But again, you know, you give people also a little bit of their own space. We're really in a time of a lot of confusion. What are you going to do? And another thing that's really important is St. John Youth says the worst punishment God could send upon his people is to send them priests that they deserve. That says a lot, my friend. So the crisis comes from the top, unfortunately, today from the Pope down. But it's not just the popes and the clerics and the bishops and the colonists, the lay people, too. And part two, I want to say is I would really, I recommend to some people, really, and I know people have done it and they've been rewarded tremendously. They relocate. There's places in our country right now where you have the Society of Pius X Chapels, uh, Institute of Christ the King, you have uh, the Fraternity of St. Peter, and indult masses. And let's just say Kansas City is one of them, you know, Post Falls, Idaho, and there, there's others around the thing. So every family I know, and I've known a bunch of them that have said, you know what, and if you think about it, what is more important there's nothing more important. The number one end of the church is salvation of soul. So if you're serious about sending your soul, you, where do you want to go? I said, I had a woman, just about everyone that I've helped, because people sometimes call me and say, Father, I don't think you'll help me because I'm in a Novus Ordo. I said, give me, where, where'd you get that from? You know? And they said, oh, I thought you were going to yell at me. I said, I'm not going to yell at you. So I take people, as Father said, where they're at, because you have to meet people where they're at. But every, there's not one person that I've worked with that they all end up going to the Trinity Mass. And one lady explained it. She used an analogy. She goes, you know, Father, when I was going to the new Mass, there was grace there. And they, without a doubt, there's grace there because she said the miraculous change in her life. And then she goes, but, you know, then I went, of course, to you, your influence. I started going to Trinity Mass. You helped explain things. And then she goes, so this is how I like to use the analogy. So there was grace in the Novus Ordo, but it was like a, a faucet, a little drop at a time, drop, drop. She goes, when I went to the Trinity Mass, I felt like I had a fire hose on me, knocking me, overwhelming me with the graces were pouring down. And there's a great article that you could get at the Latin Mass uh, magazine, and Father Chad Ripperger did it, and he's a good theologian, and it's called, Is the New Mass as Efficacious as the Old? Guess what the answer is. And he goes through the intrinsic value of the Mass and the extrinsic value. The intrinsic value basically is the same. It's Christ being crucified. So that's infinite value. But the extrinsic value is so important. Where is the Mass being celebrated? Is it being celebrated in a ski lodge, a gymnasium? Do you receive as many graces there, or is it celebrated in a big, beautiful cathedral? That's uh, No, you more grace in the cathedral. Where do you get more grace when the priest is using a glass chalice or wood chalice that's forbidden, or beautiful gold-plated, silver-plated chalice, which is the way? No, with the chalice. Where do you get more graces for the people if the priest is wearing a cheap polyester vestment or a beautiful vestment? And then... It comes down to the priest. Is the priest reverend? Is he holy? The holy of the priest. You, like if you went to my mass or Padre Pio was alive, where do you think you would have gotten more grace? It's Padre Pio's mass because he was holy. And we could go on and on, but all these things are important. And we don't even realize what's the department of the people that come to mass. Are they reverent? And let me tell you something that's so important because it's at the holy sacrifice of the mass that the graces of salvation are distributed primarily. Even if you don't receive the Eucharist, even though you don't, so you know, 
you know, I tell people, get up and move, you know. So if it was about money, I say, you know, if you stay in this city, you know, you're only going to end up accumulating, uh, you know, thousand dollars at the end of the year of savings but if you go to this city you get you'll get a hundred a million dollars say everybody's going to run over there but what about the graces because the only thing that matters that you and when you do something at a charity and love for god because you want to glorify him you can't outdo him in generosity you can't he's going to bless you a million times over and here's the uh, one last thing because we go on and on with this Study about the Mass. There's books out there on the Mass because people don't understand the Mass. I think Angelus Press has a book. It's called Mass. It's, it's not that thick. That's why I'm recommending it. And it takes you, Drew, from the, when the priest is in the sacristy till he comes back to the sacristy. There's so much rich material. So learn about the Mass. The, one of the greatest books I ever, uh, you could read is Dr. Nicholas Gear, G-H-I-R. And he wrote on the Holy Sacrifice at a Mass. It will blow your mind, that book. So now it's like I heard a priest once give a talk years ago. He came from uh, uh, Europe. And so when he came to America, they took him to a football game. And, you know, so they, at the end of the game, they said, how would you like it? How would you like it? He goes, I was lost. I don't even know what was going on. And he says, so, because in my country, football is soccer, you know. So I didn't know the rules. I didn't even know what the end game was. I tried to figure a little out. And well, it's the same thing. If you're going to Mass and you don't know about it, if you don't realize that you're at the sacrifice, that you're at Calvary, you're not going to draw enough out of it. And liturgy is work. You've got to work. You've got to put work into it. You've got to study. There's nothing more important than studying the Mass in the end. And we have, uh, I don't know if it's on tape, Father Rodriguez's brother, David Rodriguez, gave a phenomenal talk at our conference in Cleveland, Cleveland for the 100th anniversary of Fatima. And that's available, right, Kevin, on YouTube. And, I, and he explains it to, for people that never had any contact with the Trinity Mass. And the response was overwhelming. It was phenomenal, phenomenal talk. And we want to put at the Fatima Center, we're going to put out a whole series and I think with David, too, so that people could start learning about the, the Holy Sacrifice, the Trinitine Mass. Father Rodriguez, is it ever proper to consult with Novus Ordo priests for anything? The, the examples being given are extreme unction, the blessing of holy articles, penance. Again, a little bit similar to the question on the validity of the Mass. I mean, if you have nothing else and you're going with your piety and faith, I mean, trust that God's going to help you and give you the grace that you need. But in general, again, I don't recommend it. I mean, I think Father Isaac made a very good point when he talked about even considering the possibility of moving. It may seem real drastic, but again, when you compare that with, well, but... On the other hand, I'm talking about the salvation of my soul and, again, also the good of the church. That's important, too. I mean, if there's a lot of Catholics that, let's say, prefer, let's say, going to the Latin Mass, but they're accepting the Novus Ordo because nothing else is being provided to them, well, at some point, I do think you need to examine your conscience and ask yourself, what am I doing for the church? What am I doing to help Holy Mother Church to recover her true Mass? So, similar to that, I mean, I don't really recommend going to the Novus Ordo priests because, in general, there are a lot of defects. But, I'll grant you, there are some that, let's say, maybe are very good. There's some that maybe have helped you. And, again, that's where I say, look, if 
at that moment you think that's the best you can do and they've helped you in the past, I'd say, well, ask our Blessed Mother to inspire him and to extra help from the Holy Ghost. But I don't recommend it because like just one example in the question that was posed was like for the blessing of articles. I'm telling you, I mean, there's a huge difference. I can't speak for all, but a lot of times, I mean, if you maybe test it out if you want, you know, if you take like, let's say water to a Novozor the priest, you know, Father, can you bless this water? A lot of times they get upset. I mean, they don't even want to bless it. Sometimes they'll say, well, you know, you don't need to bless water. Or, I don't know. I mean, you know, they'll actually get you know, upset. But I think what's, yeah, I think what's most common is they'll just kind of make the sign of the cross and say, in the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Spirit, okay, there, you got your blessed water. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I'll tell you, I'm not sure what that is. I mean, because you compare that to the blessing, the true Catholic blessing for water in the old rite, and there's a huge difference. There's an exorcism for the salt, the blessing then of the salt, taking the salt out of, let's say, the world, setting it apart for the things of God, consecrating it, again, for God's use, taking it out of the power of the evil one, placing it in the power of God, then there's the blessing, then there's the same thing for the water, the exorcism, the blessing over the water, then there's a mixing of the blessed salt with the water in the form of the cross with all the, the prayers of the church and then the final prayer. It's a huge difference. And so, if you have to wait a longer period of time or go a further distance to, let's say, get the, your water blessed with the proper Catholic rite, I definitely would say to do it. I wouldn't recommend that you go to the Novosota and get your water blessed in that way. So, again, I just remind you, look, strive for perfection. Don't settle for just the bare minimum. Strive to be perfect Strive to be a perfect Catholic. Strive to help the church. And if you have to make great sacrifices, I mean, try to make them as best as you can. And what that means is it's not a question of just, you know, being overly judgmental and condemning the people that are going to the new mass and all that. Look, a lot of people don't know. There's so much confusion. You keep praying for them. Be charitable. Try to help them. But I strongly urge you that no more keep studying like Father Isaac said. Another book on the Mass is called The Incredible Catholic Mass. Is it by Mueller? Maybe Mueller. That's put out by Tan. That's another book that I would recommend. I heard of a family that the whole family, and I think one of the sons went on to become a priest. I'm not sure what, if it's with the Society of St. Pius X. I think it was the Society of St. Pius X. But he told the story of how his family basically converted from the Novus Ordo because they read that book. He said that his parents read that book and began to realize what the Mass really is. And then started searching for the traditional Latin Mass, found it. They had to travel a bit, I don't know, two hours or something. But, you know, later on, you know, now what he was giving his stories is a priest. But he started going to Latin Mass in the same way. So... Strive for perfection. I mean, make the necessary sacrifices. God will bless those the sacrifices that you make. And with that too, uh, my old moral professor, who was definitely saintly man, Father Alphonse Sutton, he grew up a Baptist, hardcore Baptist. And uh, when it came time at sixteen, you make your decision: you're going to be Baptist or not. But his preacher, Baptist preacher, used to preach from Saint Alphonse Liguori. <laughs> And because of the Eucharist, that converted Father Alphonse, and his family was devastated that he uh, became Catholic. But he became not only Catholic, holy, holy priest and a uh, great man. 
And with the prayers of the old ritual fathers, one thing is really, like he's saying, there's no comparison because in theology, the words affect what they signify. The words affect what they signify. So when it says, wherever this water is sprinkled, the demons will flee. Guess what happens when you sprinkle the water? The demons flee because that was in the ritual. In the salt, when it says, he, you know, if you digest that salt, it could heal you of sicknesses and everything. So when I, all the people I work with, I go to their house and I'll bless a case of uh, salt. I'll exercise it from uh, olive oil to everything because all these things are powerful weapons, gallons of holy water, blessed candles. You have all these things as weapons in your house. I have people that tell them when, it, when you're having problems in the house, you know, people are fighting, you light a blessed candle. What is a candle? A blessed candle is Christ. It represents his nature, human nature. He had two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. The wax represents his physical nature, his human nature, and the wick represents his soul. Which had, And then the flame, when it's lit, represents his divinity. And so when you light a blessed candle, when we work with possessed people, they can't sleep at night unless they have a blessed candle burning. Because the demons, what happens in pitch darkness if you light a match? It disperses the darkness. So all these things, like Father said, it's night and day. But the other thing is, too, a lot of these men, and even the, the good ones especially, they know they're compromising. They know. So if they're going to compromise with their own soul, what makes you think they're not going to compromise with your soul? And so Teresa of Avila, a great example, is all the priests told her she was crazy. She wanted to start her reform. And the great Franciscan, St. Peter Alcantara, comes along. And he counsels her. He goes, they told you that because they can't do what you want to do. They won't do it. Maybe just add something also there real quickly. Again, just the whole idea of the difference between the blessings and the sacraments and obviously the Mass and then you and the old rite. The more you learn, the more you realize the difference. I mean, it's why, I don't know how many of you know all of my story, but I mean, I was trained everything in the new rite. Uh, I started learning about the old Mass. I was already ordained a priest about eight years Probably what convinced me the most was over time, I mean, looking at the difference and I mean, and really studying and seeing and, and saying, there's a huge difference here. I mean, on the one hand, we have what has always been Catholic. And then over here, we have something that's been so diluted and so Protestantized. And so for me, the question was never so much. A lot of times we hear these questions about, Father, well, is it valid and, and this and that? It wasn't so much that issue for me, but rather saying, here I have what's truly Catholic. And even if, let's say, by God's great mercy, the new is, let's say, valid by the skin of its teeth, so to speak, I'd say, I'm certainly not going to opt for that. And I'm going to be willing to sacrifice and spend my life to fight for what is truly our Catholic faith and our Catholic sacraments, whatever sacrifices I have to make, I mean, whatever it takes, it's what I'm going to do. One real quick thing on the Mass, a lot of times Catholics that don't know the Latin Mass are not familiar with it. They say, Father, but you know, the Latin Mass, I don't understand it. I can't understand. One of the things that I'll tell them is I'll say, look, the Mass is not primarily about understanding like with your human reason. It's about believing it's about believing what's truly taking place there 
And if you don't even know anymore the great mysteries that are unfolding, for example, it's truly the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior there at Mass. The angels are there adoring, on their knees adoring. If angels are there on their knees adoring, and we're not, I mean, what are we doing? But it's a question of believing. And I say, look, you don't have to know Latin to believe. And believe me, over time, that Latin's going to help you. But one real quick example also that I mentioned to him, because it's relevant to the whole thing about exorcisms and the blessings. It is incredible. But here, again, you have to study. But it is incredible to see the difference in the old Mass and the new Mass with regard to what is our most powerful sacramental, namely the sign of the cross. I mean, the sign of the cross is incredibly powerful. I mean, we're talking about fighting against demons and sending away demons and sanctifying, making our things holy. In every aspect of our Catholic religion, you have the sign of the cross. You wake up, you make the sign of the cross, you bless your food, the sign of the cross, the sign of the cross. Well, how much more powerful is the sign of the cross when it's in the context of the Holy Mass, the sacrifice of our Lord on Calvary? There's great power. And again, I'm telling you, it is incredible when you compare the number of the signs of the cross that are made and also how it's there present in the old mass compared to the new. You know, whatever, let's just say, I don't know, just to throw out numbers, you know, 100 to like 5. That's huge. I mean, just based on that, I can tell you that if I were a lay person and I didn't know a word of Latin, but I knew that, I would say... I'm always going to go to where the sign of my Lord and Savior is is being kind of unleashed with all its power. But again, Catholics don't know that. And so they ask questions like, well, but is it still valid and is this and that? I mean, again, it's night and day. And it's not just the Mass. I mean, there was a question, I mean, it's a sacrament of extra unction. It's the blessing of holy water. Father mentioned the blessing of the candles. It's the, you know... All, all the blessings that, that we have, blessings of bells, on and on and on and on and on and on. I'm afraid we're out of time for any further questions. Thank you, Father Relier. Thank you, Father Rodriguez. Uh... We hope you've enjoyed this presentation brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. We invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.org. Immaculate Heart of Mary, Ora Pro Nobis.